since the Reds are completely out of it uh, <laughs> and have been since, I think, April, uh, football season can now begin, as far as I'm concerned. And, and of course, the NFL kicks off in full swing today. Uh, lots of games on the schedule this afternoon, and, and every team is going into it thinking that they have a chance. I mean, they're, you know, it's, they're 0-0. They, they haven't lost a game yet. And so you're going to see today, if you like to watch football in any way, uh, you're going to see teams that are all really trying their best to execute their game plan, trying to win. It would, be, it would be weird to see, and you would, it would be very obvious if you watched a game, the quarterback takes the snap from the center and then just stands there and waits to be tackled. Or, or he hands off to the, to the running back who looks for the closest defender and tosses him the ball so they can run it the other way. Now that's going to happen, and it may not mean it to, but that may happen. But it would be really weird and really obvious if you knew they were trying to lose. And, and in sports, sometimes that has happened. Way back, way back, nearly 100 years ago now, the Chicago White Sox gave a World Series to my Cincinnati Reds way back in 1919. They, they were trying to lose the game. It would seem ridiculous if you watched any sporting event and you recognized very early, this team's they're trying to lose. That doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. Some of us in this room today are so highly competitive that it wouldn't matter what you're playing or against whom you're playing it, you would never try to lose. It doesn't matter if it's your three-year-old grandson or granddaughter. You're going to try to, you know, coming after you. The idea of trying to lose is just so ridiculous in so many cases. And yet, honestly, today, that's exactly what I want you to do. I really, really want and hope that the conviction today from the Lord is for you every day to try to lose. To, to lose on purpose. To lose on purpose every day. To completely give up everything about you. To lose yourself on purpose. To act like that quarterback who takes the snap and then just stands there. To give the ball away. To lose on purpose. To do what most folks would think you really don't have to do. I mean, they would tell you, you're such a good person. I mean, there's nothing more that God would ever really want from you except how good you are. Just keep being that good person you've always been. I mean, surely God appreciates that. And I want you to know this morning that the call leaving here today, the invitation, is not to go out and be good or to be better than good, but it's to lose. Absolutely to lose everything about you. I'll tell you that I really and firmly believe this is going to be a sermon with incredible potential. Uh, it, it has great potential. To go in one ear and out the other. I'm just going to tell you up front. Great potential this sermon does. To, to, to say, well, I, I, I've kind of heard that before. I mean, you know, you know, you've preached on this scripture before, which I have. I mean, you know, this is the one that you kind of always tell us, you know, okay, this seems to be one of your favorite verses and whatever. Okay, all right, I got you. It's got great potential. To go in one ear and out the other. Yeah, I think really also, though, it has great potential to change your everyday life. I mean, how you live each day. And the truth is, whichever potential it has is up to you. And choice is yours, and it's yours alone. And so I, I really hope and pray that, that this sermon is not one that just goes in one ear and out the other, but it's really one that we take to heart 
And we say, God, what, what do you want to do in my life as a result of this scripture? As a result of what Jesus said and asked in this scripture, God, how is it that you want to change my life? And so I hope that you'll be in prayerful consideration of that through the whole sermon. Whether you hear what I say or not, I pray that you'll hear the scripture and you'll hear the question of Jesus. Now, we're in week six of eight, and so we'll finish this up in a couple of Sundays. A series called Red Letter Questions. Looking at the questions that Jesus asked, and he was so good at that. So wise, so insightful. He knew everything about the people that he was talking to. And he would ask them questions that would cut to their heart. Maybe you've, ever, you, you've had a question like that before, and somebody just stops you in your tracks, and you say, well, I hadn't thought about that before. Or, you know what? I see what you're getting at. You're right. And, and that's what Jesus was doing. He was trying to cut to the core of, of who, who was he talking to? Who were they? Would they examine themselves? Would they allow these questions to penetrate their hearts and examine them and, and then to begin to transform them? And, and this whole series, as I told you from the very beginning, it, it really uh, has just been to, to look at these questions to determine what our honest answers are. And then let God deal with our hearts. And, and I told you from the beginning that, that this series, this, these, these ideas would be completely pointless if we're not willing to submit to the Lord's examination. Uh, you, you don't answer to me. Uh, we're in this together. And hopefully we can be some accountability for one another. But you don't answer to me. I, I'm, not, I'm not a priest for you. Uh, Jesus Christ is your one and only priest. And so you, you answer to him. And he's the one who needs to examine you. So I hope that that's, that's where we are, that we're allowing ourselves to be examined. And, and I told you also this series would be pointless if we, weren't, if we weren't honest with ourselves and honest with God and maybe honest with other people if we need to be. But if we're honest and we're, and we're willing to submit and we're willing to, to be examined, I think these questions can change our lives. And this, as I said, has a great potential to change your everyday life. Uh, they, they changed lives back then, these questions did, and I believe they can change lives today. So look with me in Luke chapter 9, and this is one of my, one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. It's, it's just one that resonates with me, it's one that I remember easily for some reason. Uh, it, it's something that God has really used to convict me and to, to, to help to keep me, I, I hope, on the right path. Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 23 to 26. Verse 9, or verse 23, the first word says, then. Now, just so you know, let me catch you up real quick. I don't want to take anything out of its context and pick up these verses and plop them down somewhere else. What's going on during this time in chapter 9 is Jesus had sent out his disciples on, on some teaching missions, some evangelistic missions. He told them to take nothing with them, just to go where they were received. And so he had sent them out. They were doing what he was doing. Then there's, there's a couple of verses where the king, Herod, wants to see Jesus. So Jesus is begin, beginning to gain some notoriety and some fame and, and, and has the potential to rub shoulders with some pretty powerful people. Then the story tells us Jesus feeds the 5,000, where the guys come up and say, look, we, we don't have much. We've got some bread and some fish. And Jesus says, look, I got this. It's enough. You all just get ready to pass it out. And so he asks the Lord to bless it. And it is blessed. And they collect much more than they actually needed. That's in this chapter as well. Uh, then you also have in chapter 9, uh, Jesus, the, the, the record of Jesus uh, asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of, the Son of God. And that's all in this chapter. And, and then we get to the part where verse 23 begins. And he says, then he said to them all. So he's gathered all these folks around him, not just the disciples, but everybody who was gathered, uh, the audience from the disciples, uh, from, from all the folks in chapter 9 here that are, that are gathered around Jesus. He says, if anyone wants to come with me, 
He's going to give them what you could essentially call the rules of discipleship. Uh, If anyone wants to come with me, here's what it's going to be about. I remember the first speech from the coach every year when I was at Murray State. You know, the fire you up, you know, here's, here's the way it's going to go. They may be thinking this is what it's going to be like. Hey, guys, let's gather around. Let's talk about the upcoming season. But instead, what he tells them is, you know, look, maybe some of you think this is going to be just a big pep rally and things are going to be so great for you and everything's going to be exactly the way you want it to be. And some of you feel like you're going to be a part of something that's incredible, see some miracles, get to do some things that nobody else can do. But he's going to go on to tell them, look, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be my disciple, let me tell you what it's about. Not just a pep rally. There are lots of folks that have been following Jesus around up until this point, looking for the miracles and wanting to see the signs and wonders that he had done. But he tells them, really, that's the wrong thing to seek. If anyone wants to be a follower of mine, you want to be my disciple, you really think you're ready to do this, here's what he says. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, we've got a little bit of a problem, I'll just tell you. And I know it's a problem because Jesus addressed it then, and it still applies in every church today that we need to hear this same message. We don't really get what discipleship is all about. We don't really get it. Now, I'm not saying that to insult you. I'm saying that we, not you, but we don't really get what it's about. In most cases, most Christians say, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it means I believe in Jesus, and I try to do some things that he might want me to do, and so on, and okay, and I... You know, I'll go to church on Sundays and I try to live a pretty good life and do some good for people and, you know, and okay. And that may be included in the idea of following Jesus, but it's a very muted and abbreviated version of really what Jesus calls his disciples to. We, we, we prove in some ways that we don't really get what, what discipleship is all about, um, Maybe one of the ways that, that stands out most to me is that, that often our, our commitment to Jesus is, is situational. Uh, it, it depends on what's going on. He says here, deny himself. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Now, what he's talking about there is not denying yourself just certain things. Well, okay, I'm just going to not eat that, or I won't do this, or whatever. It's not about denying yourself just certain things. Uh, You know, like sometimes maybe during the Lent season, or, you know, when you're in front of me, you're not going to do those things, or whatever, you know. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I I told you earlier that you don't answer to me, and this is just case in point, and and I've shared this with you before. But I'll never forget playing on the high school baseball team, and guys would, would let loose their language. Uh, which consisted very simply, I mean, it's a very simple language. It's kept at about four letters for most words. And, and uh, you know, a simple form. They could remember those very easily. And so uh, my high school coach told me, he said, I'm just too dumb to think of bigger words. And so, <laughs> okay. And so they would, they would immediately look at me and say, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I just look at them. I said, well, I, said, I guess I appreciate that. I don't know. I said, but you don't answer to me. You know, it's not about denying yourself or not doing these things when that person happens to be around and you don't want the pastor to think something, you know, wrong like you're a sinner. You know, you don't want the pastor to think you've actually sinned ever in your life. You know, come on. It's not just about those things. You know, or, or hey, when I'm at church, when I'm around someone from church, or when my parents are here, or when there's a chance I'll get caught, or when the situation calls for it, then I'll kind of follow Jesus. A lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, our commitment to the Lord is situational. It depends on what's going on. 
It depends on who we're around. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come with me, it can't be situational. He just says, deny yourself. When? All the time. Deny yourself of your own agenda, your own plans. What, what is it that my agenda is for my life? Renounce the, your own agenda. Deny yourself. Lay down any, any attempt to be righteous on your own. Any attempt to get to God on your own. Any, any idea of self-sufficiency or self-determination or self-confidence. The truth is, we're, we're really just situational in our commitment to the Lord, showing that we don't know what discipleship really is about. If, if, if we come to Jesus just sort of because the situation calls for it, if it only fits our agenda, suits us at the time, or helps us to meet our needs and our desires, maybe your commitment, you would say, if I'm honest, is situational. You know, it... it I'm on board with Jesus. I mean, really, so long as He's on board with what I feel and, and what I want and how I think about this situation. You know, so long as my prayers are answered the way that I want them to, when I want them to, then I'm good with Jesus. I mean, He's on board with what I'm doing. I'll get on board with what He's doing. You know, so long as I still retain control over most of my life and I can feel like I got it together and nothing is out of my control, then I, I'll, okay, I'll follow Jesus at that point. So long as I can remain convinced that good people go to heaven, and that's all really it takes, and I can just kind of feel good about that, that, you know, good folks do, and there's no way a good person could be denied access to a holy and perfect God. Well, I'm okay with following Jesus then. He says, deny yourself. No situational stuff. And then he says, take up your cross. How often? Daily. Every day. Take up the cross. Now, what they would have immediately thought of was not wearing a cross around a gold necklace. Nothing wrong with that. Well, any particular problem with that? That's okay. That's not what they would have thought of. They would have thought of a condemned criminal carrying his own cross to his place of execution and being tortured along the way. It was not a pretty piece of jewelry. It was an ugly, awful, horrendous thought for someone to carry a cross. It meant simply they were on their way to die. Their, their, their sentence was simply a matter of time and execution, literally. And so they would not think of, well, I, you know, carry your cross, and hey, it's just a kind of a good luck charm, and isn't this neat, and hey, you know, hang them up all over the house. They, they would have been, they, they, they would have revolted at the idea of a cross. And he says, take up your cross. Well, you begin to understand what he says discipleship is about. It's about self-denial. This is no longer about me. It's not situational. And I'm going to take up my cross. I will operate as if I have already died and I'm simply on the way to where they're just going to kill my body. He says, take up your cross. Carry it along with you for the journey. Let it be a reminder of whose you are. Identification with that cross. He says, and then follow me. Conform to the Lord's example. Be my disciple. If it's situational for you, then you'll say, well, you know, if nothing is expected of me, if no real change is expected, if I can just keep doing what I'm doing, then I'll be okay. And we prove over and over and over, don't we? We just don't fully understand what, what the kind of discipleship that Jesus wants from us is all about. Another way that, that he highlighted here as you keep going into verse 24 that, that we don't fully understand, and he wanted them to get it, we don't fully understand always what discipleship is about. He says in verse 24, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. 
And he goes on to say in verse 25, What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Sometimes we prove we don't fully understand what discipleship is about because we're way too comfortable in this world. Way too comfortable. And, and, and I will say that in some ways we've been lulled to sleep and it's a little bit unfair because we've been able to be very comfortable in this world. We've kind of had it our way, if you will. We've had preferred status for so long in our country as believers in Jesus. And sometimes that can lull us to sleep. Whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to be rescued, whoever wants to be kept from harm, whoever does not want to be destroyed, destroyed, whoever wants his inner self, his soul to be saved, must lose it, he says. The focus can't be on the here and now. Can't be on having everything that this world has to offer. That's not Jesus' form of discipleship. Whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to hold on to everything here, he says, will lose it. Ultimately, you're blinded. You've been, you've been fooled. But he says, whoever loses his life because of me, out of loyalty to me, will save it. Whoever's not real comfortable in this world and says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm here and this is where I am, but this is not my home. Whoever has that perspective, Jesus says, whoever, whoever takes the idea and the mindset that, you know what, this stuff may be okay. And in and of itself, it's not bad to have this or to do that or whatever. But you know what, that's not my focus. And if the Lord took all that stuff away, I'd still follow him. He says, whoever's got that focus, whoever's willing to give all of that up for my sake, out of loyalty to me, will save his life, will not be destroyed. Jesus went on and he talks in verse 26 about how we, maybe we don't get exactly what discipleship is all about. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the fathers, the Father and the holy angels. The Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He says, whoever's ashamed of me, whoever, whoever just adjusts to the temperature of society. You want to understand about discipleship, it's, it's not situational. Uh, it's, it's not being comfortable in this world, and it's certainly not adjusting to the temperature of society. He says, whoever's ashamed, whoever refuses to own me in the eyes of people, and I, I'll just be honest with you, this is not news to you, it's getting more difficult to own Jesus in the eyes of people. It's okay to be sort of spiritual. It's okay to be a good person, so long as good is determined by somebody other than Jesus. It's getting more difficult. I don't know that we should be surprised, but it's getting more difficult. And the truth is that it's always been difficult to truly be a disciple of Jesus. It's, it's been comfortable. It's been situational. It's been okay to adjust the temperature of society, but if you really, really give it completely to Jesus, there are problems. He says, if anyone is ashamed of me, then... Guess what? I'm not taking up your case before the Father. You've got no place with me. If you're not willing to, 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 to publicly declare, and that doesn't mean I was talking with our young people this morning. We were talking about what does it mean to truly be a witness for the Lord. And I said, you know, it's not just about standing up on the lunch table and shouting at everybody. You know, that's, that's... But unless you're willing to give witness to, you know what, I've been changed. Let me tell you what I've seen and heard. I want to help you see what I've seen. I want to help you hear what I've heard. I want to help you experience what I've experienced. I want to truly just be a witness wherever and whenever I am. We don't really get what discipleship is about. Now that, that's our problem. Jesus makes it clear that He wants these guys to know, oh, look, don't think this is situational. 
But don't think you can still remain comfortable in this world. Don't, don't think that you can just do what you want and adjust to the temperature of society and still follow me. I hope this so far is not going in one ear and out the other. Great potential. Recognize the problem. Be convicted by the problem. Repent of the problem. And then make a choice. Because the great question in all of this is found in verse 25. What does he say? Our choice, according to Jesus, is about what we're willing to lose. Look at it. What has a man benefited? What has he profited, other versions may say. What has a man benefited if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits or loses himself, his soul? What are you willing to lose, he says. He lays it out. And it's a rhetorical question. Because we know you've gained nothing if you lose your very soul. But isn't it interesting how often we go through life thinking we can have both? This is not a both-and proposition. It's an either-or. And so a choice must be made. It would be great. I would just, I'd, I'd love it if this were both-and. You do whatever you want in this world and you just pursue all the things that everybody else pursues and you set your sights on more and more and more and whatever you want to accomplish here. Don't really worry about the Lord until maybe it's closer to the time when you think you might die and then, you know, kind of okay, don't, don't ever worry about any of that other stuff because God will take care of you because just be a good person and that will be fine. That's the world system. It would be great if it was both and. But Jesus makes it very clear there is a distinction and a very stark dividing line. What are you willing to lose? Because the truth is, as Jesus talks about here, we've got a choice to make. You're either going to lose the world to save your soul or lose your soul in order to gain the world. This first, of course, he's talking about salvation. He's first and foremost talking about, about our souls and their eternal destiny. And so when he, when he says this, he's talking about gaining the whole world and yet and yet not being truly a child of God and spending eternity in hell. That's what he's talking about. And I realize that for most folks here, as I look out, I would venture to say that most folks here would, would claim that you have faith in Jesus Christ. You say, yeah, I do. And I'm not going to try to question that this morning. I would say, however, that if God is speaking to you, and maybe you come to the realization that I've just been playing a game with this Christianity thing, and I've just been trying to make it look right... And maybe today is the day that you'd shock everybody and truly repent of sin and give your life to the Lord. Then today is the day. And do that, and we'll celebrate with you. I want you to know that. I'm not going to get you up here and say, well, you know, this person's been playing a game for 25 years, and let's all shame them because now they're finally coming to the realization they don't really know the Lord. We're going to celebrate with you. I want you to know that. And, and I would, hey, listen, that would be, the, to me, the biggest celebration. Let's baptize you just right now. We'll fill it to be cold, but let's, let's fill it up and let's go with it. You know, I mean, honestly, we're not going to shame you. And maybe today you just realize, you know, I'm not talking about getting re-saved. Once you've been saved and, you know, God makes it clear that he's got your soul and, and, and that's fine. But, but maybe today it is. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm tired of playing games. I, I think for most of us, however, we would say, you know, I feel, I feel confident in my salvation. I believe what I believe and I've given my life to Jesus. And then the question becomes, I wonder if we understand what we're losing by trying to gain this world as believers in Jesus Christ. What are you losing in your pursuit of the things that this world has to offer? I mean, is, is it costing you your marriage? Your kids? Your joy? Your peace? Your integrity? Your reputation? 
The truth is Jesus is presenting a choice between the temporary and the permanent. What won't last and what will last, which is your sight set on. It's a choice between the immediate and the delayed. I'll be quite honest with you. The idea of delayed gratification isn't something that kids only struggle with. It's all of us. We want what we want, and we want it right now. And if I have to pray about it for the next 15 years, are you serious? Okay, so you're telling me that, that, that the idea here is to commit to Jesus and to follow Him even if He doesn't answer my prayers. That's what you're telling me. Yep. That's it. That's, that's commitment. That's discipleship. You're telling me that even if things don't turn around in this area of my life, and this does not change... This does not go my way, and things do not become different like I want them to be different. You're saying the call is still to follow Jesus with no strings attached no matter what. Yep. Do you see how different the idea that Jesus had about discipleship and what what our watered-down version of discipleship often is? Jesus says no strings attached. None. You come to me, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, you follow me no matter what. It's a choice between what is seen and what is unseen. A choice between supposed power and victory and the choice to say, I am going to try to lose. I'm going to give it all away. It's a choice between your way and not your way. A choice between your will and submission to His will. A choice between all those contingencies I mentioned just a minute ago or no strings attached. Lord, I give it all to you. No matter what happens, you've got it. You've got my heart. You've got my life. You have my will. You have my emotions. You have my obedience. You have my choices. You have my attitudes. You have everything. And Lord, I will demand nothing in return from you. Do you realize... That that's the position we're in before a holy and perfect God. We are in no position to make demands on a holy and perfect God. We like to. makes us feel better. Well, you know, I'm going to make a deal with God here. <laughs> I just wonder. I believe God laughs because he has, uh, he has shown some humor in the Scripture. And I just wonder how often he laughs at that sort of thing. Okay. The choice between your soul... In the world, you have to to give away the world to save your soul, or you're going to give away your soul to gain the world. Maybe you need to jot that down. Remember it. It's the one simple thing here. What are you willing to lose? Well, the statement in response is, "Well, you're either going to give away the world to save your soul." Or you're going to give away your soul in order to gain the world. It's it's real, real simple. It's choice. The world for you may not be the same as it is for me. I'll I'll tell you that in in my world, as a pastor, the the world that is offered, it seems, to pastors, the world that, that you're told to pursue... In spiritual terms, often the one that that is put before you at the conferences. You know, you realize that the the guys that speak at the conferences are always pastors of huge churches. Huge. 
I mean, this guy knows what he's talking about because he's at a big, big, big church. Listen to him. Do what he says, you do what he's done, and you'll have a big church too. The world is not something that I'm immune to. You want to know, oh, well, you know, he stands behind the pole, but he must be a whole lot holier and better than everybody else. Listen, those same ideas, the world that comes to me is one where, where I'm tempted to desire more power and influence and more people and more money and greater prestige and more recognition and all of those things, the desire to speak at those conferences, tell them they're all wrong, that's what I tell them. <laughs> Drop the mic and walk off the stage, that's what I do. You're wrong. <laughs> those are the things, though, that's my world. What is it for you that is that constant choice, that, that constant friction that says, you know what, if I give in to these things, if that's what I pursue, then something in me is going to die. I'm going to lose something about what God really wants me to have. Because when you lose those things, when you trade those things, you're losing joy and you're losing peace and you're losing those patience. The fruit of the Spirit is lost when you pursue the things of the world. It's gone. When you live according to God's Spirit, no matter where you are, and I'll say this, no matter if I'm in a big church, in a small church, speaking at conferences or not. You remember last week I told you about the seminar I got to lead for our association. Some of you were here and I told you I taught on baptism and communion. How many people were sitting in the audience? Four. Four. That was it. We had a great time. It's just four of us. Five, five including me. Yeah, I killed five. We'll count it as five. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll fudge on the numbers just a little bit. What, what is it that you're willing to trade that this world has to offer and you'll give away part of your soul for that? This is not go out and make a deal with the devil kind of stuff. But this is what are, what are you willing to lose? And I hope today that you say, you know what, when Jesus says, what, what, what are you benefited by gaining all of this stuff that's temporary and forfeiting or losing what is permanent? What you really know is most important. And I don't know where you are, husband, wife, single adult, older person, younger person, somewhere in between, parent, grandparent, whomever you may be, what is it that you're giving up in order to gain what you think is so important? And I wonder today if you just hear the words of Jesus when he says, look, if you really want to follow me, it may not be easy, but it's simple. Just deny yourself. Every situation, just say, no, you know, I don't belong to myself anymore. Take up your cross, march as if you are a dead person walking, and follow Him. What are you benefited? What are you benefited if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? I wonder if you could imagine for just a second, what would it be like to be free of all those pursuits that never end? That never end. I'm not saying you have to go quit your job. Some of you say, oh, I'd like that. Give me permission to do that. That's not what I'm saying. But what would it be like to live free, even in the job you're in, even with the responsibilities you have, even in the, the role that you have that has to make money? <laughs> but what would it be like to be free of those pursuits that cost you so much? What would it be like to not chase that anymore? What would it be like to have joy and peace and fulfillment in life that doesn't come from what you do or how much money you make or how much you gain in this world? What would it be like... And this week, I would just challenge you just for seven days 
to begin to say, you know what? I'm going to feed my soul more of Jesus, more of His truth. I'm going to feed my soul more of Him, and I'm going to starve my soul of this world. And I'm going to start this week and just see for seven days, God, what can You do to transform me from the inside out? What are You willing to lose? Are you willing to give up the world in order to gain back your soul? I sure hope so. That's what discipleship is really all about. The denying of yourself and taking up your cross and following Him comes with no guarantee of circumstantial difference, but it comes with a guarantee of the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And let me tell you this, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's worth more than anything this world has to offer. I guarantee you. And you know it's true. Let's pray together. If this morning you, you have been convicted by what God has said to you through His Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, then I would encourage you at the end when we stand to sing, Maybe you need to come and talk with somebody. You've got somebody close to you and say, would you please pray for me? Maybe you'd like to do that and, and, and your way of doing that would be to come and, and just kneel up front here. That's fine. We don't require that, but certainly open to it. Or maybe you'd say, you know what, Pastor, would you pray for me? And, and I'd be happy to. Or, you know, you talked about what does it mean to, to give your life to Jesus? I don't know what that means. Would you help me understand? I'd be happy to talk more about that with you. Maybe today.